My topic is that of mental illness, its prevention and treatment. Now, mental illness is something that we think, well, that happens to somebody else and not to me. But I would like to talk with you first about the wonderful brain that we have and uh, how it works somewhat. The first thing is to look at the number of neurons that we have. <clears throat> you can see that there are little ones and big ones, those that branch, those that just sit there, and uh, these are neurons or nerve cells inside the brain. Uh, it's estimated that at least 100 billion brain neurons are present, and each one of these has thousands and thousands of connections. In fact, every single nerve cell has by its various connections, even, even though it may be a circuitous route, has, many, uh, has connection one way or other with every other brain cell so that we can communicate with each one. One neuron communicates with as many as 200,000 other neurons directly, and that is through hormones called neurotransmitters. Now, neurotransmitter, a neurotransmitter, is a hormone produced in a nerve cell or in a nerve organ, like a nerve root, and uh, then uh, gives a little burst of its activity, sends an impulse to the next neuron, and then in that way uh, goes from one place to another in uh, helping you to communicate with what you need to communicate in, uh, your, uh, in, in, the, in your life and what you're doing. Now, <clears throat> characteristics of the human brain are that number one, it is complex. And by complexity, that means enormously complex. Some have said that the complexity of the human brain is more complex in all of its functions and all of its ramifications than the entire starry universe is. And I wouldn't be surprised if that is not true because of its great complexity. It is also extremely delicate so that you can have an accident and uh, get uh, damage to your neurons, which may make it so that you cannot uh, transmit your nerve impulses as well as you could before. Uh, drugs of various kinds can also cause a problem, can make it so that you cannot think as well, you cannot store memory as well, you cannot recall from memory as well, and so we need to be very careful about drugs and about trauma. Then the brain is very sensitive to toxins. What kind of toxins? Various kinds. Anything that's in your environment, even fumes like exhaust fumes and uh, fumes from uh, industrial plants, all of these can also make it so that the brain has its, its changes. Minimal loss of oxygen, just a little reduction in the oxygen in the air where you sit may make it so that you cannot breathe so, cannot think so well. You cannot apply that that you have learned so well. A little loss of water, a little loss of glucose. Where do we get glucose? It is only from the food that we eat. And uh, the food is then stored, and then we can break down uh, energy 
a little bit by little bit from glucose, but the brain uses only glucose. It does not use fat and it does not use protein. So we must use glucose. Now, how can we impair the brain? Surgery on the brain is one, and we're not really able to do any kind of surgical procedure on the brain that's on the brain itself that does not leave us with a scar and with some loss of uh, brain, uh, of brain uh, neurons. And so the trauma and accidents, birth trauma, surgical trauma, all of these can cause a loss of neurons. There is a diet sensitivity that can cause a person to have a brain allergy. So there are some things in the diet that may make it so that you could have a migraine headache or that you might have a, a, an ocular migraine and these can make you have a reduction in sensitivity of the brain. Strokes, stress, drugs, both licit and illicit, all of these are likely to reduce the effectiveness of your brain. Of course, everybody understands alcohol it causes intoxication of the brain, and alcohol can make it so that you can become permanently disabled in the brain. Uh, every time a person really has a severe um, intoxication with alcohol, one loses about 10,000 brain cells per bout. Well, that's not very much. We've still got 100 billion left, or almost that, or next to it, just a little few hundred less or a few thousand less. So it's not very much, is it? Doesn't sound like very much, and it really isn't very much. But the next time and the next time and the next time you have a bout of alcoholism, at that time you begin to have a diminishment of your total number of, nutrient, of, nu of neurons that make it so that your uh, brain becomes even smaller in size and I will show you about that in a little bit. Now, most of us might say, well, I don't drink a bit. I never drink alcohol. I don't take anything alcoholic. But I do overeat sometimes. Do you know that overeating can also make it so that you produce alcohol in your intestinal tract? That's called alimentary alcoholism. And there are many people who are drunken, not with alcohol, but drunken with their food. They're overeating. Television causes a rewiring of certain neurons in the, the uh, brain. And this rewiring can make it so that you default into shyness or you may default under certain conditions into a depression or your rewiring may cause it so that you cannot think in a certain bright way that you once knew that you could and uh, that can cause a serious problem for you wrong music, especially loud and sensuous music can cause a rewiring of the brain so that we default into certain thoughts uh, in, a, in a wrong way. Caffeine can also cause uh, a rewiring of the brain. Look at this. Here we find in a spider with uh, caffeine, uh, let me just describe this, the uh, the web in the middle is a web from a spider who customarily makes this kind of web. 
who has had no caffeine at all, then you can see that certain others of these have had uh, various kinds of uh, neurotoxins. And the one that is caffeine is immediately beneath the one that is normal. Do you see that? Now, the, this, this little spider had one little human cup, little spider cup, had one little equivalent of a human cup of caffeine, had that one little spider cup of caffeine injected into his uh, circulatory system so that he was able to make his web still, but look at what web he made. Uh, not very usable, is it? And that happens to us as well when we uh, get this kind of uh, caffeine. I don't recommend caffeine to you for anything. It is a toxic herb. In fact, it's one of the most toxic herbs that we have, uh, that we use customarily. So don't recommend coffee at all. It also encourages uh, cancer of certain kinds. So that if you take one cup, one cup of coffee per day, it increases your risk of getting cancer of the bladder by three times. If a woman takes two cups of coffee per day, it increases her risk of getting cancer of the ovaries by 2.2 times. And so uh, important that you not take caffeine. Now, the great complexity of the brain with so many connections and so many more possibilities and probable interconnections, there is no wonder that malfunctions might sometimes occur, especially if one considers that the chief custodian of this wonderful complex apparatus, the chief custodian has had no special training in the care of the equipment and usually believes it is not needed. It doesn't need any special attention. It's going to take care of itself. And so the brain ages. Alzheimer's disease is a global impairment of cognitive functions. It isn't just that you think in a certain way. It isn't just that your memory is of a certain kind. It is that, you're, that all over your brain is not functioning well so that your motor compartment, your uh, healing ability, all of these things are not so good as they would have been uh, if you had taken good care of your brain. There are strong hints that suggest that Alzheimer's disease is linked to the Western diet, the kind of thing that we eat. But notice this next thing, excessive intake of total calories. And probably we never thought about the fact that our overeating could make it so that we are more likely to develop Alzheimer's disease. Refined sugar, that is white sugar, is also very likely to be a toxin to the neurons. Refined carbohydrates of any kind, like white rice, and of course white sugar, and white pasta, white grits, those that have been refined, white wheat, white bread, all of these kinds of refined carbohydrates, they can increase the likelihood that you will get Alzheimer's disease. Animal products also increase our likelihood, and that principally because of the fact that the protein from animals is much more likely to become oxidized than is the protein from plant sources. And these oxidized proteins go to the neurons of the brain and make it so that we are likely to develop 
uh, Alzheimer's disease. A sedentary lifestyle will cause you to have Alzheimer's disease. In fact, there are two things that we can say about almost anybody who gets Alzheimer's disease. And one is a sedentary lifestyle, and the second is overeating. And so those two things can make, it, uh, make you uh, less likely to get Alzheimer's if you control those. Now you will see here on the left, you will see a healthy brain. This is the way it looks. You will see on the outside rim, this tan area. You will see the, what is called the gray matter. And then in the midsection, you will see the white matter. In Alzheimer's disease, both of those are involved, but more likely the gray matter than the white matter. And so in advanced Alzheimer's disease, you will notice several things. Uh, in the midsection, you will see uh, these two holes. On the left, in the healthy brain, it's a small hole. On the right, in the advanced Alzheimer's disease, you will see it's a large hole. In the middle, you will see another hole, which you can hardly see in the uh, central part. You can hardly see that at all. But uh, in the, down in the bottom part, in what would be the temporal lobe, you can see there another hole. And this hole uh, is the, the anterior horn of the lateral ventricles. And notice how large it is. You can hardly see it at all on the healthy brain on the left. Also, even the cerebellum down below, which is the part that gives us coordinated movement, uh, this also becomes uh, bad in the person with the advanced Alzheimer's. Now, with Alzheimer's disease, there are vacuoles in nerve cells, and I'm going to show you that in just a moment. There are also tangles in nerve cell fibers and amyloid plaques, which have to do with both protein as well as uh, um, advanced glycation end products. And the advanced glycation end products come from carbohydrates. How do you arrive, how do you derive from your diet advanced glycation end products? Very easy. If you burn your toast, you get advanced glycation end product. Overcooking, uh, especially with a, a microwave, will cause advanced glycation end products. Not cooking your grains well enough, chewing too little, uh, eating too many uh, dishes at one meal, all of these will cause us to get amyloid plaques, in my opinion. Now here are amyloid plaques. You see those little black dots all over? These black dots in the uh, section that you see here, these black dots are amyloid plaques. The amyloid plaques interfere with the, uh, with, with the communication of one nerve cell with another. Now, the orange sort of section in the mid portion is the white matter. That has to do with, the, uh, with somewhat like our telephone lines, and uh, this is a great part of the brain. But even in the white matter, there are, as you can see, some uh, amyloid plaques. Now notice this part. These are microscopic appearances of the brain, and these little fuzzy areas down below, they are adjacent to some of the nerve cells. These fuzzy areas are uh, a part of the amyloid plaques. You can also see 
I don't know if you would know to look, but if you will look inside these cells, you can see that they have some streaks in them, and those streaks are the nerve tangles. And these tangles make it so that you cannot transmit nerve impulses. In this section, you can maybe see the tangles better. On the right, you can see the neurofibrillary tangles, these little processes that are necessary to transmit nerve impulses, and they become tangled in Alzheimer's. And then the amyloid plaques are easier to see in this than in the one before that. Now let's take this idea. The first stage of Alzheimer's is that of forgetfulness of recent names. They meet somebody and they can't remember them. They can't remember recent dates or recent events. They become lost in familiar places and there is also a personality change. The personality change is largely due to the fact that they realize they are not functioning in the mind as well and consequently they want to withdraw. They do not want to be around other people because being around other people reveals the fact that they cannot think so well. Then stage two is that they need help making decisions. Can you help me to build, uh, to buy a car? Can you help me to buy a refrigerator? Uh, can you help me decide whether I should go here or go there? So they need help with decision, need help with baths, need help with money. They cannot make change well. They forget to pay their bills. They get depressed. They, partly they're depressed because they aren't functioning as well as they know they could or should, but they also become uh, depressed because of the, the, the uh, fun poor functioning of the brain, not just that they are aware of it, but it also functions poorly and they default into a depressed state. And they withdraw because of all these things. Stage number three is that they become aware of time or place, of events, of close family relatives. They may become very suspicious. In fact, one of the prototypes is that mama thinks somebody has stolen her purse. And that's a very common uh, belief that the Alzheimer's person may have. They think, who got my purse? I had it right here, and therefore I know uh, somebody has taken my goods. Now let's take a look at this next thing, and that is what your aim as a caretaker should be. First, aim for their independence as long as possible. Keep them cooking their own food, maintaining their own rooms, uh, helping to uh, get uh, decisions made, maintain their quality of life as long as they can. Uh, one of the things that we often do with old people is take them into cramped quarters where they have to be uh, cared for by someone else or they have to be locked in an apartment and they, be they become literally prisoners in, their, in the home of a relative. Second thing is to get a power of attorney as early as possible because when the decision, when it's decided that yes, mama or papa cannot function anymore, then it is often too late for them to even participate in signing the uh, necessary papers to give someone the legal power of attorney. So go ahead and do that early on before the need arises. The third thing is to join a support group. 
you can get much better understanding of how to care for your relatives. You can also feel much better about your own plight because of hearing about the plight of others who are also having to take care of an elderly person or one with advanced Alzheimer's. And by the way, Alzheimer's disease is occurring at an ever younger and younger age. So we want to do what we can to try to plan for the future. Are mobile phones involved in Alzheimer's disease? There have been some people who have thought that they have been. And uh, I have uh, maybe a bit of a, some shocking news. Uh, but let me first say that there have been some studies done in Sweden at uh, various universities uh, where they have felt that the use of mobile uh, phones uh, lead to earlier onset of Alzheimer's disease in younger people, according to the research done in Sweden. Now, watch the cell phones and all this that's on the cell phone front, because some newly published reports say that exposure to cell phones, at least in mice, actually erase the damage caused by Alzheimer's disease. Well, I thought that was quite interesting. So uh, maybe we should say, bring on the cell phones. Well, I don't know. Let's continue to look. Here is uh, another uh, thing that you might be interested in seeing, and that is that scientists at Lund University Hospital say that the microwave radiation produced by mobiles can allow harmful proteins and toxins to cross the blood-brain barrier in rats, causing significant damage of neurons or nerve cells. And so maybe it is true. Maybe it isn't a problem for us with, uh, with cell phones. And uh, we could all hope that it, uh, that it isn't. At our, in our advanced stage of communication, how would it be possible to live without a mobile phone? So it may be that we may have to learn how to uh, uh, protect the device from making us have the microwave that we otherwise would have. Alzheimer's disease, or AD, may be promoted by insulin resistance. What is insulin resistance? It is that uh, inability of cells to make a port of entry for insulin. Now what happens first is that insulin attaches itself to glucose and then looks for a portal of entry into the cells. So if it finds none, it goes back into the bloodstream and the, both the blood sugar and the blood insulin increase. And that increases your risk of cancer, diabetes, hypertension, uh, strokes, heart attacks. All of these are more common in people who have uh, insulin resistance. So we want to avoid insulin resistance. What is the common way of producing insulin resistance? The commonest way is by overeating. So do not overeat. Learn to eat the smallest amount that you can and get by with it. Then decreased endothelial production of nitric acid. Nitric acid is a substance in blood vessels that causes the blood vessels to have relaxation and dilation. This makes also the blood vessels be elastic or non-elastic. If it's not there, it, uh, the, blood, the uh, blood vessel becomes non-elastic. If it is there, it is elastic 
and able to expand and to contract with such things as heat and uh, water and the like. Free radical excess, such as the excesses that occur in city traffic, uh, in over-exercising, that is true, over-exercising as like under-exercising, these can be both a problem for the body. Under-exercising can cause Alzheimer's disease. Over-exercising can cause excessive free radical production, and the free radicals can then uh, increase your likelihood of getting Alzheimer's. Inflammatory metabolites. If you, have not, if you do not get an annual laboratory testing that includes also the highly cardiac-specific uh, CRP or C-reactive protein, which is an, uh, an index of inflammation in the body, or at least in the heart and arteries. If you do not normally get that, uh, inquire of your doctor for that type of test so that you can find if you have uh, a large number of inflammatory metabolites. If you do, then you're likely, more likely to get uh, Alzheimer's disease. Homocysteine, which is that uh, lack of power that we have, or caused by that lack of power to transmit or to transfer from methionine to cysteine, and uh, can cause us in, uh, an inflammation. Now, prior to 2000, the year 2000, estrogen deficiency was also added to this list that if you did not have enough estrogen, that you were more likely to get Alzheimer's disease. But what is the actual fact? Well, let's uh, study this for a moment. Before 2000, 90 million U.S. women, women were on hormone repl replacement therapy. It was purported to help maintain sexual vitality, supple skin, energy, lack of certain uh, or resistance against certain cancers and certain other diseases. And supposedly the hormones also combated osteoporosis. And preliminary research suggested that HRT, or hormone replacement therapy, might protect the heart, reduce the risk of dementia, and protect against declines in memory and mental skills. But subsequently, Uh, studies demonstrating the benefits of estrogen were not conclusive, and it was found that uh, benefits from estrogen were not conclusive, but estrogen prevents or delays Alzheimer's. But a flood of work has clearly proven that estrogen has neuronal effects consistent with the role in cognition and memory. That is clearly that is, not, that is now proven not to be true. But research data a little later clearly showed no improvement in mental function in older women taking hormone replacement therapy and more disturbing, a twofold increase in the risk of dementia. So not only does it, pro it provide protection against dementia, but there is a twofold increased likelihood that you will get Alzheimer's disease or some other kind of dementia. So um, 
let's uh, continue. How can we prevent? Well, one way is by increased insulin sensitivity through exercise, reduction of refined sugars, and saturated fats from meat and dairy products. Do not overeat. I cannot overemphasize that point. So many diseases are related to overeating. So our, our hope and our effort should be toward eating only enough. Do not eat more than is necessary for you. Uh, get vigorous exercise, and that's all your life. Let's say something happens to your feet, your ankles, your knees, or your hips, and you cannot walk. You still must do exercising. Uh, one of our uh, staff members at UT uh, Pines figured out some ways that people who could not walk could still get abundance of exercise, and that is by chair exercises. And they figured out a number that were using dumbbells or stretch uh, equipment or pressure equipment and uh, made it so that they could get plenty of exercise and the, the timing must be the same as the timing of being out of doors. And understanding that you can walk, the average person can walk about a mile in uh, 20 minutes, then uh, 20 minutes should be the time that the person spends in the chair exercises. So getting plenty of vigorous exercises should be a lifestyle, a, a total lifestyle change and a constant one all one's life. Now fatty acids improve the memory. The increase in the ratio between omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids respectively from uh, flaxseed and walnuts, that's omega-3s, and various seed oils and strive for the antioxidants like folic acid, B6, B12, selenium, vitamin C. Vitamin C can be obtained from almost any uncooked uh, plant or plant food like fruits or vegetables. And so we eagerly uh, tell you, aim toward being vegetarian. Constantly aim toward being vegetarian. Fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts and seeds, and legumes. Now, herbs for the memory. Let's take first rosemary. Rosemary is a, a very common uh, plant around the household in many, in, in many households. It has a very aromatic, aromatic uh, uh, odor, and most people like to have it in the garden. Uh, some people will put it by their mailbox and shake it every time they go by. And I uh, hope that people who walk by will also shake it so that they can get a little nice fragrance from the rosemary. It improves the memory by slowing down acetylcholine, which is a neurohormone, a neurohormone or a neurotransmitter that transmits the impulse from one nerve cell to another nerve cell. There are six compounds in rosemary that uh, um, are capable of helping to slow down the breakdown of acetylcholine by cholinesterase. The use of the aromatic oil on the skin is also uh, helpful uh, in improving memory. Then the next one for the uh, next herb for the memory is ginkgo. Ginkgo for memory, for dizziness, for anxiety, for lack of being 
uh, steady on your feet, from ringing in the ears, from alertness, sociability and concentration. Ginkgo is very good. Don't overdo it because an overdose can cause you to have a little diarrhea, but you have to really take a good bit to get that. Uh, irritability and headache can also occur from an overdose in some people of taking too much ginkgo. Now the next thing is ginseng. Ginseng is good for alertness and its general tonic qualities. Uh, you will find that ginseng is um, used in many nations around the world for general improvement in uh, one's energy. Next one is garlic. Garlic is probably one of the most medicinal of the foods that we take and it slows down aging, it improves the memory, and of course garlic is also able to bring your blood pressure down to uh, help you in fighting germs of various kinds, including germs in the bladder and cystitis, germs in the gastrointestinal tract if you've been uh, taking antibiotics, uh, and just germs you have anywhere on the skin or in the body. So always have garlic on hand. Use it freely in uh, your cooking and uh, try to uh, increase your uh, memory along with it. Now the next one is purslane. Purslane is a, a little weed. It's not a very invasive weed in your garden, but it is quite capable of making you unhappy because it grows so uh, lush and uh, has such a, a nice and... Uh, beautiful little flower and sometimes it's such a nice little weed, nice looking little weed that you forget that it is indeed a weed and uh, you don't want to dig it up and that's fine. Just take it and use it in your salad. It is very good for that. Uh, purslane is anti-aging, it's rich in glutathione and glutathione is also one of those that can slow down the over uh, breakdown, the increased breakdown of acetylcholine a neurotransmitter that can transmit impulses between two nerves. Purslane also has the privilege of being that leaf that has the highest analysis of omega-3 fatty acids. So don't hoe up that uh, purslane in your garden. Just break off the leaves and use them in your salad. It's very good for you. Another one is horse balm, which in addition to the two others I've mentioned, will prevent the breakdown, the excessive breakdown of acetylcholine, a uh, neurotransmitter. Now the next one, uh, more herbs for the memory. Brazil nuts are very rich in choline and the uh, word that I have used as a neurotransmitter, acetylcholine, acetylcholine is essential for our proper neurotransmission of nerve impulses. Help in high um, end choline are dandelion flowers, poppy seed, soybeans, mung beans, many other beans are uh, high in choline. And uh, you can feel that you can eat them free, freely. Fava beans uh, have more uh, acetylcholine prote protection than most anything else, but you will also recognize in fava beans that fava beans have L-DOPA. For people who have uh, motion disturbances, 
or people who have Parkinson's disease, they may benefit from eating fava beans. Now someone is going to say, but I don't care for fava beans, and that may be true. They, they may not become your favorite bean. But on the other hand, you can learn to make them in very nice dishes, such as making a uh, sandwich spread by uh, mixing it together after it's well cooked, mixing it together with some chopped olives or some chopped cucumber, and uh, making it into a very nice uh, spread for bread. Now, arteries and the aging in Alzheimer's, walnuts and flaxseed are high in omega-3 fatty acids, and they help to reduce cholesterol. So if you have a problem with cholesterol, here is a way to reduce that. Walnuts are also high in L-arginine, which is a source of nitric acid. What does nitric acid do in the arteries? It makes them more elastic, makes them able to dilate better and to constrict better so that you can get your uh, uh, circulation uh, going better. These two factors help to protect against artery disease, aging, and Alzheimer's. Vitamin B12 deficiency is easy to avoid. Many older people suffer from deficiency of vitamin B12, which is also called cyan-cobalamin, reducing the memory because they are low in B12. How do you uh, correct that? The simplest way is simply to get a pill and take the pill. Uh, all B12 on this planet is made by uh, germs. And if we consider the fact that the germs that make the B12 are often found in a place where we would not want to have the B12 produced on our table from that particular thing. Uh, the colon is a very rich source of B12. Unfortunately for uh, adults, they're having the uh, B12 produced way down in the colon makes it too far down for it to be absorbed well uh, or absorbed even at all. And so unless one has an extremely healthy colon and an extremely healthy lower ileum, which is the last part of the small bowel, they're not likely to be able to absorb from their own bowel the B12. And certainly you would not want to absorb B12 from any other person or things uh, colon. And so uh, the best way to get it is just go down to the health food store or to a, a drug store and get some B12. The best kind is the kind that dissolves in your mouth and you have then the salivary factor, which helps to absorb the B12. The use of medications to reduce stomach acid, treat helicobacter pylori infection, and any inflammation of the stomach lining, uh, hereditary reduction of intrinsic factor of the stomach, and problems with the pancreas can all contribute to the development of the B12 deficiency. So try to protect your B12. Medical researchers at Queen's University now report that daily supplementation with a multivitamin containing 2.6 to 3.7 micrograms of B12 is enough to prevent a, co a cobalamin deficiency in most healthy older adults. I prefer getting only the B12 and not the multi because 
our uh, nutrients, many of them, have a seesaw relationship with each other so that they do not, uh, they are not capable of uh, maintaining their proper balance if we take a multivitamin or a multimineral, especially the minerals are likely to be uh, out of balance if we take a multi. And so unless you know that you're deficient in a certain vitamin or mineral, in my opinion, it is better for us simply to get your nutrients from your food and not from some uh, multi of some kind, multivitamin or multimineral. Now what about junk food and addiction of people to junk food? Eating hamburgers, chips, and fat-loaded junk foods could be addictive, U.S. scientists have said. They believe high-calorie fried foods could trigger hormonal changes that make it difficult to control eating. A single fast food meal could contain a dose of fat and carbohydrate large enough to cause changes in brain chemistry and structure, which are usually associated with addiction to drugs. So fast foods, are they the best place for you to eat? And the answer is no. The best place for you to eat is in a home, in your own home, where the cook knows something about how to balance nutrients so that they make a, a very good uh, meal for those who participate in, in, the, uh, in the meal. Generally speaking, the highly colored foods are very helpful for you. So the more highly colored, like blueberries, watermelon, tomatoes, all sorts of berries that are highly colored, uh, any kind of uh, fruit or vegetable, highly colored, all of these tend to be very good for you. Those that are not highly colored are also uh, have a good part, such as cauliflower, not highly colored, but also very good for your, uh, for your nutrient, nutrients. Much of the violent behavior found in prisons, especially among young offenders, is simply due to subclinical malnutrition. They live at the fast food place. They hang out at the place where they drink their beverages. Uh, some of them are, being, are hard, some of them are not hard, but any kind, soft beverages or hard beverages, all of these tend to make a person more likely to have a health problem uh, and violent behavior and unpleasantness in the home, very likely to be due to the fact that the person has a, a clinical or a subclinical malnutrition. Now, because the person is overweight does not mean that they are not malnourished. They can be very overweight and still have a strong malnourishment. Now, vitamins and violence, another group of researchers point out that omega-3 fatty acids are important for the production of mood-altering neurotransmitter, the one called serotonin. Let me tell you another thing about serotonin. If you exercise in the fresh air and out of doors in the sunlight early in the morning, you will find that the sun's rays come in toward your eyes and even though your eyes may be turned aside, the very fact that the, eye, that the sun, sun's rays come through your uh, eyelids 
it increases your risk, it increases your production of serotonin. Serotonin is the precursor of melatonin, which occurs at night, the same night that you got the exercise and the sunlight. So, again, exercise is an important part of the laws of health and will encourage you to uh, get outside when you know that it's going to give you melatonin. What is melatonin? It is a, a substance produced in the pineal gland uh, deep inside the cranium, not actually in the brain, but under the bottom surface of the brain, and there the melatonin is produced when it is dark and when you are asleep. So melatonin has many advantages. It encourages sleep, gives you good sound sleep, but it also helps you not to get cancers of various kinds. Melatonin is also helpful in making you strong and healthy and uh, giving you a uh, good uh, long and elder and old life, long lifespan. Now let's take another thing that causes uh, a problem here with the mind, and that is allergies. You have probably heard of brain allergies. Our uh, findings suggest that exposure to antibiotics in utero is associated with an increased risk of asthma in a dose-related manner, more than two courses of antibiotics compared with none. So if a, uh, before the baby is born, if the mother takes two courses of antibiotics before the baby is born, then they have a, a, a greater likelihood of getting asthma. Another thing that's known about asthma is that if a child before the age of two is hospitalized for any reason for a longer period than one week, their likelihood of getting asthma is greatly increased. Similar associations are present for other allergies like eczema and hay fever. Now the effects of sleep on memory, four to six hours of sleep a night in one group of subjects for 14 consecutive nights produced deficits in cognitive performance equivalent to going without sleep for up to three days in a row. Now think about this for a moment. 14 days, just four to six hours of sleep a night makes it so that your ability to function in the mind is reduced as much as three nights of sleep in a row. What, would, what kind of zombie would you be like if you had not slept in three days? Well, this will let you know what kind of problem you will have if you do not sleep four to six hours every night for 14 days. Yet those who were in this research project were unaware of how impaired they were because they still felt good, and they would tell you they still felt good. Finer grades of intelligence were lost, lost first, such as anger control, discrimination in the choice of words, quality of music or friendships. The more sleep lost, the greater the impairment. So the effects of sleep on memory can be significant, and we need to guard against that. Do not allow yourself to become chronically sleep deprived. How do you do that? By watching when you sleep. If you start 
having a chronic uh, insomnia or you are three days being an insomniac, get busy on it immediately and, and do some kind of measure that will help you to sleep because you do not want to the insomnia to last a week. If it lasts a week, then it's more likely to become chronic. So make it so that you can uh, sleep at night. What can you do? Uh, Epsom salts or uh, magnesium sulfate can help you to sleep. That's a very good one. That also helps to bring the blood pressure down. It prevents uh, chronic magnesium deficiency, what may cause, also may cause chronic constipation. So a little bit of uh, Epsom salts or, or magnesium may be helpful uh, in uh, making it so that you can sleep. Um, St. John's wort, which is a, a fine herb, can uh, help you with uh, sleeping properly. St. John's wort is customarily used for depression, and it is a good one for that. St. John's wort is also good for the memory. Uh, not quite as good as ginkgo, but it is good for the memory. St. John's wort is also very good for sleep. You may need to take uh, a triple dose of St. John's wort in order to get uh, a good uh, sleep production, but it does not give you a hangover the next day. So that's very nice to know, St. John's wort. <coughs> All right, more about lost sleep. Reduced cognitive abilities, that's abilities to think, can occur even with a moderate reduction in sleep. Reduced ability to pay attention or react to a stimulus, as when driving or monitoring at airports. Reduced ability to think quickly and not make mistakes will also occur, even with a slight loss of sleep. Reduced ability to multitask, to hold thoughts in the brain in some order while doing something else. These all can occur with even a slight loss of sleep. You can see, as I mentioned in the beginning of this talk, that the, the brain is very complex. It is also very delicate. And yet, in many ways, it is also quite uh, tough, quite tough. So we can expect that it will last you a long, a lifetime uh, and still function well into advanced old age. More about lost sleep and lost IQ. The average person needs 8.16 hours of sleep during a 24-hour period. Only slight differences between individuals. It's of interest that men tend to need a little more sleep than women do. Now men are very likely to say, aha, I knew that, and now I'm going to encourage my wife to get up first and get things going while I sleep. Well, don't get too settled in bed because it's only about 10 minutes more sleep that they need. So uh, the 10 to 20 minutes that they might need is about enough time for the woman to get breakfast going and. Uh, make him feel that he's being petted a little bit. Everybody does best with evening sleep rather than morning sleep. Even though you may think yourself to be an owl and not a lark, larks are naturally 
hum, uh, human beings. Owls are not naturally human beings. And we don't get growth hormone unless we sleep early. We need at least three hours of sleep to get good growth hormone uh, when we're adults. Now some herbs for sleep, for memory, for anxiety, for depression, for fatigue and mental illness. All of these are herbs that we have uh, in uh, our very simple armamentarium. St. John's work, which I've mentioned already. Uh, St. John's work in very fair people uh, may cause them to have an increased sun sensitivity. Now many people who do not like uh, herbs <clears throat> will tell you this about St. John's work, that it will cause people to get sun sensitive. But it's only in very fair people apparently, and not in people whose skin is normally colored a little um, darker or tan or uh, ruddy. Uh, and St. And John's work is not nearly as sun sensitive prone for the person as maybe over a hundred different drugs that people customarily take. So I'm not very concerned about the St. John's work. Uh, if it is a very fair person that I prescribe St. John's work to, then I usually tell them that uh, be careful of the sun. Catnip, catnip is safe even for babies uh, and we can give it for uh, chronic, uh, um, uh, the colic that babies get uh, because of their food, uh, their food sensitivities. And uh, as you eat, as you take the catnip, recognize that it is a nice sedative. Ginkgo is uh, good for the memory. Lemon balm, passion flower, lavender. Lavender will uh, help you to uh, stop having a headache and almost within 10 minutes of sniffing on the lavender, you will find that your headache is diminishing. It is a most marvelous essential oil, which I like very much. Uh, lavender is also good for sleep. Uh, lavender is good for uh, dermatitis. If you uh, dilute it down with a little olive oil and spread it on a dermatitis, such as an eczema, uh, lavender is very good. There is a product that's commercially available called Lavendel, which can be sprayed on the skin in eczema, which can be, and other uh, skin sensitivities and skin rashes, which can be very, very good. You can also make your own by uh, putting uh, lavender oil with some kind of uh, diluent and uh, just spraying it on your skin. Skull cap, valerian root, catawba root, chamomile. If you have difficulty sleeping, take a cup of chamomile. If the next night you still didn't sleep, take it double strength and then up to triple strength if you still need a problem uh, with sleep. Hops is also extremely good to uh, encourage sleep. Red clover has many um, compounds in it that are very good for a human being. <clears throat> One thing is that it is good for uh, estrogen deficiency. In menopause, it may be one of the best things. Red clover is also known to have anti-cancer properties, and we use that a good bit uh, as a helper in anti-cancer properties. Then mineral deficiency may rob you of sleep, such as a deficiency of magnesium salts, 
which can be replenished by Epsom salts, magnesium sulfate, magnesium aspartate, and so forth, can readily uh, induce sleep. Now some more herbs for Alzheimer's and for Parkinson's. Rosemary, Brazil nuts, fava beans, I've mentioned those. But stinging nettle and gatucola, velvet beans, which is good not only for dementia, but also good for Parkinson's. Monarda, dandelion, fenugreek, sage, willow, ginseng, evening primrose, all of these are extremely good for uh, the nerves and uh, this kind of thing. Fava bean sprouts have 10 times the L-dopa of uh, other beans. Uh, and, of the, and of the fava, fava beans themselves, just sprout the fava beans, which you can usually buy at a health food store, and sprout them, and that will give you 10 times the L-dopa. 16 ounces of cooked fava beans are uh, required to give you enough L-dopa to furnish the amount that would be in a dose that you would get in a pill. But if you take it as the L-dopa in the fava beans, that, that one thing, just the fact that it is from a natural source, will uh, build up the L-dopa in your body and make it so that you have a, a good likelihood of reducing your Parkinson's disease. Now there is a uh, thing called the biblical brain food soup. The biblical brain food soup was made by a friend of mine named James Duke. He is a famous herbalist, as some of you know. Uh, he has done an, uh, an enormous amount of work on uh, Amazon uh, herbs and has uh, developed a number of good uh, Amazonian herbs that are used uh, around the world. He has in his brain soup barley, that's well-cooked barley, uh, which, and barley requires about four hours of cooking in order for it to be the most helpful to you. Bottle gourd, dandelion flowers. Now that's the bottle gourd when it's young and you can slice it up like a cucumber and put it in a soup. Dandelion flowers and the dandelion greens. The fava beans, the flaxseed, the lentils, poppy seed, stinging nettle, ground walnuts, cracked wheat, and there are a number of seasonings like balm, rosemary, sage, savory. Choose the bean and the grain and about three other ingredients for your soup and you will have a good brain soup. Now some herbs for obsessions and addiction. Kava, that's probably the gold standard for obsessions and addictions and can help you much with various kinds of uh, mental and emotional problems. St. John's wort, slippery elm, marshmallow, marshmallow root. Marshmallow is a soothing herb so that if you have any kind of irritation or any kind of trauma, uh, any kind of long-term irritation, if you uh, use uh, marshmallow root, you will find that it is soothing. For uh, babies, it's a soothing herb for their uh, colic, and uh, they can be very happy with that. Hawthorn berry, feverfew. Feverfew also has 
uh, profound anti-inflammatory properties. And uh, you can use it for rheumatoid arthritis, for lupus, for any kind of autoimmune disease, or any kind of uh, inflammatory uh, process that you have going on. Charcoal, I remember when I was in medical school, our pharmacology professor said, uh, if you were going to be shot, into, shot to a planet and you could only take 10 uh, drugs with you, what would you take? Well, most of us wrote, wrote out one. I remember one of the first that I wrote uh, was aspirin, and now I would not use aspirin at all. Uh, I consider aspirin to be, uh, if it were presented to the uh, FDA today, I believe it would not pass. Uh, it, is, it is the cause of uh, many hundreds of, if not thousands of people, about 5,000 people per year may die uh, from nothing but aspirin. And uh, so I do not recommend it for people who uh, are going to prevent a stroke, but rather I recommend a totally vegetarian diet, low in fat, low in sugar, and uh, high in greens and whole grains, and those will help you not to get uh, clotting inside your blood vessels. And it's much easier to control, much less likely for you to overshoot or undershoot than just with your food. So charcoal can be helped. It's uh, one of the ones that I would certainly take if I uh, uh, had to be shot off to a, a foreign planet where I had no uh, medicinal agents at all. Now, <clears throat> the next thing is to guard your thoughts. Habitual negative thinking can lead to psychological disorders, to anxiety, to depression and panic attack, attacks and phobias. And these things become the default of your mind so that under certain conditions, when you see somebody or a certain thing happens, you default into this negative thinking, this psychological disorder such as anxiety. Um, this is due to the pro-inflammatory cytokines that are produced in the, brains, in the brain by the thoughts such things as tumor necrosis factor, interferon, and others that uh, tend to promote these kinds of psychological disorders. Now, depression weakens immunity, and uh, we need to always try to guard against negative thoughts and depressed thoughts. Research in Brazil has indicated that depression may reduce the immune system's ability to fight infections or depressions or, or, or various diseases, a factor that could affect the development of cancer. Of course it would, because a reduction in the immune system naturally makes it so that you're more susceptible to cancer. Now what about depression? Exercise is as effective as medication and psychotherapy in relieving depression. Did you know that before? Let me repeat that. Exercise is better for you than depre for depression than uh, psychotherapy and medication. Walking 30 minutes daily improves depression faster than drugs typically do. That's an amazing thing to watch. The person is depressed, you take them for a walk, you encourage them to see the out of doors, the leaves, the flowers, the, the rocks on the ground, 
the various things that are in nature, the animals, as they see these things and their mind is drawn away from themselves and away from their trials, they fast reduce this depression that they may have had. So it's a good thing for you to know that uh, exercise reduces depression. Now some herbs for depression. I've mentioned some. Improve the serotonin with the early morning exercise with the sun's rays being close to you. Then there's one called motherwort or Leonurus cardiaca. Licorice root, hypericum or St. John's wort, ginkgo, kava, hops, lemon balm, passiflora, skullcap, valerian, and ashwagandha. Ashwagandha is very good for depression and helps, has helped many an old person who, is, who tends to be prone to depression and uh, that can help them uh, to get over a depression. Some other ways to uh, treat depression, uh, improve low zinc levels. One way to do that is by popcorn. You may not think of popcorn as being a regular food, but if it is treated in a proper way, if it's popped in a proper way and not loaded down with fats and sugar and uh, uh, salt, this can be a very good food for the family. It's a good breakfast, it's a good breakfast uh, cereal. It's also a good supper, a little light supper, if uh, the children feel they need a supper. Chromium is also very important for relieving depression, and chromium can be obtained from many uh, fruits and vegetables. Depression may be related to a diet such as low fiber and an inflammatory uh, type of diet. Fiber is anti-inflammatory itself, and so are a number of foods. Uh, apple is an anti-inflammatory uh, substance, and most vegetables are anti-inflammatory. Thiamine can be found in uh, many uh, fruits and vegetables, and thiamine is the good disposition vitamin. Avoid sugar, avoid caffeine, and avoid alcohol. Caffeine is known to be depressive. Uh, some years ago, one psychiatrist did a research project and found that in, in his rough uh, study, there were at least 10,000 people incarcerated in mental institutions for depression for no other reason than that they used coffee. So I would think that all mental hospitals would banish caffeine from their uh, armamentarium of things that would entertain people, but not so. Uh, not too long ago, uh, a patient of mine asked, I was treating a physical ailment of hers, and a psychiatrist was treating her for depression. She was uh, in a hospital, and I, she heard that I was going to be nearby. She sent word for me to come to visit her there that she needed some counsel. So I went to the little mental hospital, and when I walked in the door, I introduced myself, and the uh, nurse at the reception's desk said, well, doctor, sit right over here, and uh, while you wait, uh, while I get uh, a nurse to take you there, have some coffee. And I said, no, thank you, but I did sit there and wait. So presently, somebody came to show me the room of my patient, 
and uh, we went down to the end of a corridor, and I had to wait there until the uh, door was opened, uh, and the key was produced, and while they had to wait for somebody to bring the key, they, they introduced me to the place to sit and said, doctor, sit right here until the person comes with a key. And while you're waiting, have some coffee, please. And I said, no, thank you, but I did sit there. Then I went up the stairs and sat at a place um, by the door where I was to go in to see my patient. And I had to wait there again for a little delay while they brought another key from somebody else and alerted the nurse that I was there. And uh, doctor, sit down and uh, have a cup of coffee. I had three times to get coffee before I went in to see my patient. And I thought, Ooh, if I drank all this coffee, I might be myself in here receiving therapy. So remember this with caffeine, that it is a common cause of depression in people. Alcohol is another common cause of depression in people. Sunlight therapy. Sunlight therapy and also light therapy. Uh, people who are depressed, if early in the day they will get an hour or more of sunlight, that's good. But there are some days, at least in our area, where there is no sun, sometimes all day. And uh, so in those days, there is a way that you can help yourself. And one way is by uh, as soon as you wake up, go into a room where you have several bright lights. Uh, these can be uh, properly purchased and positioned in the room to produce a bright light in the entire room. So as you, uh, when you turn on the lights, position yourself so that you can see, so that you can be uh, touched by all of the uh, light. And the bright light can also help people with depression to uh, get uh, over the depression. Then charitable deeds. You may not think of the fact that many people uh, get over their depression by helping others not to be depressed. Now, <clears throat> licorice root is very good for depression, and no other plant has as many antidepressant compounds as licorice root. At least eight are mayo, in, that's monoamine oxidase inhibitors, and they are very good. It's, it is very good for depression. It is also, very, it is also a very good anti-inflammatory substance. It also is good for diarrhea, but there is a word of caution that I need to tell you, and that is that some people will uh, re retain sodium. And uh, if they are a sodium retainer, and if they are from a family uh, often having uh, the uh, high blood pressure, then the retaining of the sodium may be enough to make the blood pressure go up. So uh, use care about that if you are one of the types of people who, if they use more than five cups a day uh, for a long period, may have lethargy, headache, sodium retention, transient hypertension, and potassium loss. Now tryptophan. Tryptophan uh, is an amino acid, but it generally accompanies a high carbohydrate meal. So that's the uh, chicken soup idea with sleep uh, and also is it with its antidepressive uh, functions. But uh, there are many other good 
carbohydrates than chicken soup, a chicken uh, and dumpling soup. Uh, carbohydrate triggers the brain to raise brain levels of the amino acid tryptophan, and this amino acid is a precursor for serotonin. So a good high carbohydrate diet is good for depressed people. Do not overdo the protein, never overdo sweets. Uh, very important that depressed people not take highly sweetened things. Tryptophan high foods include sunflower seed, pumpkin seed, and evening primrose oil. Ginger is also good for depression. Purslane, 16 antidepressant compounds. Now, where did I tell you you could uh, get purslane? Get it from your garden. It's a little weed, and most gardens will carry this little purslane uh, all over the United States it grows, and uh, it's a fleshy, has a fleshy leaf, and it's very good in salad. So you just pick the leaves and put them in your salad. Lettuce, pigweed, lamb's quarters, watercress, thyme, rosemary, all of these, all of them are good for depression. Ginkgo, especially for elderly, that's good for them not only for the memory, but also good for depression. Ginseng, caraway, celery, coriander, dill, fennel, nutmeg, all of these are MAO inhibitors. Learn that a vegetarian diet is protective in many different conditions. In fact, I don't know of any condition that we have as human beings that cannot be bettered by a totally vegetarian diet. In fact, we can say that the most, um, the most important diet, the most advantageous diet that a person can take in disease is the vegetarian diet. And the total vegetarian diet is best. Now, anxiety affects the immune system, so we need to avoid anxiety. And uh, anxiety can be combated in much the same way that depression can. So those things that will help you not to have depression can also help you not to be anxious. Hops, catnip, valerian root, tryptophan, all of these are very good to keep you from getting anxiety. Information gathered in Norway suggests that people who suffer from anxiety may be at a higher risk of developing cancer. So if you want to avoid cancer, or if you already have cancer and want to try to combat it and try to prolong your life, if you cannot get rid of the cancer, then uh, this is one way, uh, combat anxiety. Scientists from the University of Bergen have found that those scoring highly on an anxiety assessment were 25% more likely to have abnormal cells in the pap smears. Anxiety increases your risk of colds and flu and other very simple things, including such things as um, um, rashes and uh, intertrigo and a number of other things uh, that one might have on the skin. Now, I hope that these very simple things, these simple herbs and these simple instructions on diet can help you with taking care of your mind.
This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.